Welcome to episode one of the Hoof Hearted Podcast. You can catch up with us at, at FPL Hoof. I'm your host, Alan, coach of Team Handsome. Today's episode, we were joined by Karen, coach of Tanadice Wannabes, and Ed, coach of uh, Leeds Are Doing Well. It is a stacked episode, pre-season pod. We have a bit of a chat about general strategy. We have a bit of a chat about goalies and defenders that we like. We have a bit of a chat about midfielders and strikers. Deli Alley gets too many mentions. We talk about coronavirus. We talk about wild cards. We talk about the blank game weeks. We talk about everything that we can in one hour, and it's going to be a ripper. So let's get started. Let's get straight into strategy talk and see what we came up with. If we're looking at strategy for game week one, do either of you guys have like an inkling of what you want to do? I've got no idea. I've got a midfield five, and I don't really want four of them. You know, I've had a few different strategies, but especially as as things have gone a bit more wild with transfers the last couple of days, I'm now thinking, oh, all of a sudden, yeah, things that I thought were pretty solid, yeah, maybe aren't solid. Uh, things like like Doherty moving. Chelsea are just buying anybody and everybody, like they're playing their own fancy football. Uh, and yeah, like, yeah, the COVID guys and things, you just don't know, everything's kind of moving at the minute. So I've kind of stopped tinkering for probably the last week or so, just because things are moving all a bit mad. And there's no friendly data really at the minute. So I yeah, think I'm all kind of parking for now and yeah, leave it maybe a week or so. I'd agree with that. I've been the same as far as the first week or two weeks, whatever, I was gunning it. And then the last week, I've not done as much. I mean, there's no reason not to throw in different squads and just see what it looks like. But, I mean, previously, I was sort of thinking, well, I'm going to hold off on see if Sancho signs for Man U because that's probably going to have a big Im- impact on what Man U plays I may go for. Um, but the reality is most teams haven't signed, apart from Chelsea, haven't actually signed the players they want to sign yet so it just shows you that even with two weeks to go or whatever it is um, there's still so much that can change so I mean obviously it's folly to obviously build a game week one team right now um, obviously have the mm. options there but uh, have you guys got a sense of what you're going to do about the blank teams I mean j- just assuming that we we were so stacked with the Manchester teams in particular and Burnley offer quite a lot of value especially with their budget defenders you know, if I was making a game week one team and they were all playing, I'm pretty sure my team would have probably Kevin De Bruyne. It would probably have Foden. It would probably have Greenwood. I might sneak in a Martial. I'd probably have Charlie Taylor as a bench fodder or maybe a rotational defender. I mean, that's five of my 15 from those three three teams. So, I mean, are you looking at your team now and just thinking, well, tie those guys off and I'll get them in when I can? Or are you thinking... And I've seen some creative drafts of teams going, well, I'm going to have Foden and Greenwood. I'm going to bench them for game week one. And then I'll bring them in in game week two when Man United and Man City come back. To be honest, I'm not really that bothered with City at the minute. Uh, obviously, they missed in game week one. Yeah, KDB was immense last season. But having a look at like the, the transfer ticker, or the season ticker, they've got the worst season. They've got the worst set start to the season for out of anybody or... They must be in the top and the bottom five for, for fixtures. Okay, yeah, a lot of folk would say that City are effectively fixture proof, but it's a very, very tough run they've got. So, yeah, I'm not really too bothered about City in the first couple of weeks. I was the same as you, Petty. Um, I had those five players were in the, the very first team that I drafted up. And um, when the news came out, it's like, that's fine. Um, you know, that just makes it more interesting to not have the man you and. The Man City players, but the main issue I'm having at the moment is what I really want to do is have a defensive line that I don't have to change a lot, and mm. that's driving a lot of the decisions. So I basically, there's two strategies, and I think the key thing is just know what your strategy is. And the two strategies are hold your wild card or don't hold your wild card, and that massively dictates obviously what your opening team is going to be like. In normal seasons, you would build a team that attacked the opening fixtures, and if things went well, you wouldn't have to wildcard. Whereas it's it's much more obvious that if you want to attack the opening 
two fixtures, then you basically have to have to wild card because at that point you will need to bring in a couple of Man U players and, and the City boys. So I think that's the main thing is just thinking about that strategy, what you actually want to do and just being clear about that. I mean, obviously... I'm worried that I'm going to be like, right, I want to hold my wild card. And I think there's good reasons for that, such as COVID. Like at any point, games could get cancelled and there'd be double game mm. weeks in addition to the double game we're going to get from Man U and Man City. Um, so yeah, holding it for long as possible. But the reality is you might have a terrible start. People might not play for whatever reason or be injured or there might be so many players that are on form and you know, it turned out maybe your picks that you thought were good just aren't good. Um, that you you have to wildcard, and obviously that's the situation you don't want to be in. But it for me, I want to build a team that is solid, and and I, and that, as I say, I have to switch my defenders. So it's stuff like obviously before Doherty's moving to Spurs, it was stuff like having two Liverpool defenders, having Doherty, even though you know Liverpool fixtures aren't great because he's the sort of players that you don't have to swap, and you know you don't have to yeah. even think about them. Whereas you're sort of accepting if you do that you're maybe not going to get off to an absolute flyer in the first sort of two or three weeks, but you're going to just stick with them and you're going to use your transfers on the other positions. But if you're not doing that, um, or you, you get a bit of an itchy finger because obviously you don't get a good start because of that, then it, it sort of yeah. makes your whole strategy fall apart a bit. I think there's definitely two kind of strands of thought. That, uh, knowing or seeing how busy the first wee while is, there's not really much chance of getting the, the second um, United fixtures scheduled in early. It's probably going to be about 18, week 18, 19. So if you keep your wild card, you keep your powder drive with a wild card, you can effectively use that first wild card to stack for double game weeks. But then there's also the flip side that, yeah, you could wild card in the international break, which I think is game week four. Mm. Get all the Man United City guys in and then you've got a massive head start on everybody else because you've got you've got the full lot to kind of go with. You can get your stack your team with KDBs and Fordins and the like. Yeah, um, and I think I I certainly feel much more comfortable keeping it until I need to use it. I don't. I've seen a few people picking a team literally for two game weeks or maybe one one or two, maybe even three, based on the fixtures, and then going. I'm definitely wild carding, but. Either one, you know, your team can blast out really quickly and you, you don't need it in happy days. And, you know, maybe you get a bit of a heads up, but you know you're going to have to play catch up. But if you wait till game week four, you get four transfers. You can make moves. Yeah. I think the problem is with the recent news is I'm now terrified that, yeah, COVID might hit a bunch of fixtures at some point and a, another wild card is super, super useful, much more than it was in previous years just because we don't know really what's going to happen. And the fact that, yeah, like you say, we're probably going to have to wait until like game week 18, 19 until Man United and Man City get those double game weeks. And we also don't know what those fixtures might be. We, you know, They might have two honking fixtures and we might decide that maybe a triple Man City, triple Man United might not actually be the best thing, especially with Pep Roulette. So, well, it's, well, I don't know. I'm certainly keeping, keeping, it, keeping it for the short term with a, with a view of not using it as long as possible. I mean, you know what one of the fixtures is going to be because what, what is it? Villa and Burnley. So, And the flip side of that is that you're probably going to have at least four or five Man U, Man City players come game week 18. So obviously wildcarding for that potential double game week isn't actually that good because no. the team might not change that much. But I think the general point about just the level of uncertainty with COVID is, um, you know, more important. In terms of in terms of looking at the stuff that's happened right now, one of the things that I found really tricky was. Uh, when I moved my midfield, so I had my midfield four that I really want, which beyond Salah was Kevin De Bruyne, I like Greenwood and Foden, and I really like Pulisic. And I thought that would be my kind of set five if everyone was playing game week one. Now, when you try and play around with those four, Aubameyang has quite nice early fixtures, but I, I just don't really like anyone else in and around that kind of eight five. I think I've gone up to Son, and then it means that the Foden Greenwood, who are amazing picks at that price, I'm just looking at guys I just don't like. So the trouble I've got at the moment is, is do I pick a team that sort of can go like for like? I can pick Son and I can go down to Pulisic when the time comes, or do I just reshuffle and go to a three four three or a three five two for guys that I maybe like for six seven game weeks? and hope that they can pick up the slack. Because at the moment, I have an awful draft that includes people like, you know, I've potentially thought about guys like 
Harvey Barnes and Stuart Armstrong or St. Maximan. And these are guys that I just, just don't want for the long term, you know? Yeah. I think I've been kind of caught as well with almost looking at, yeah, I'm almost picking a set and forget team. Yeah, teams mm. that I'd, yeah, I'd put my house on. Yeah, they'd be great for the whole season. But then, yeah, there's also the so-and-so's got a nice little sweet set of fixtures. Yeah, guys like your Arsenal's, your Leicester's and that who, yeah, really in normal circumstances, yeah, you don't want, you don't want to touch. Yeah, I think that was what served you well last season, actually, Karen, because you just had, like, just a bunch of solid teams. You had double lesser defence when they were cleaning and that sort of thing. And I don't know if you had double Liverpool, but you had, like, just a really solid back line and, you know, maybe paid a bit more of a premium for that, but it just meant, you know, you were just getting those sort of guaranteed guaranteed points. And I think that is definitely, you know, a good way to go. My beer's about to overflow here. That's fantastic. <laughs> right, well, we'll pause there then because we started talking about players. And before we go into, um, we'll start, we'll go with, we're going to go to goalies and defenders for part two, but I'm just going to read um, our first sponsor for the podcast. Um Willie Bruns got in touch from uh, Govan and, uh, you know, he's written us some copy here. He's got a nice product that he wants to sell. Uh, we've talked about essential players. Um, he's uh, trying to jump on the essential oils bandwagon and he's got essential ganja. He's calling it ganja soup. He boils his ganja in a big pot and he sells it like a pot noodle. He's calling it uh, ganja, but with all of the additional benefits of essential oils, it tastes disgusting, but it'll get you out your box. That's Ganja Soup from Big Willie Brown. That's 555-4127. Big Willie Brown, Ganja Soup. Right, part two. Can I just ask before that? I thought you said this wasn't an explicit podcast. I've been trying very hard not to swear. I've changed my mind. Do you know what? I'm going to actually read you something. I sent out a tweet, so we actually have an official Twitter account now. Um, at FPL Hoof. Uh, we have got... I'll just read you the tweet and um, you can be blown away by the interactions on it so far. So, uh, at FPL Hoof, uh, recording our first ever pod tonight and it will be beyond epic and you should all kneel at our massive FPL brain. Stay tuned for more info and don't even try to send us any questions if you don't want them. <laughs> it's been retweeted by um, someone called FPL Goat who's got like 10,000 followers, which is quite good. Oh, and he likes um, yeah, I know. I'm a wee bit terrified, but you know what? I don't really care. And then actually, when you look at the interactions, like a ridiculous amount of people have actually seen it. Like one and a half thousand people have seen this on Twitter. I mean, the fact that we're only getting one like per one and a half thousand views isn't. Don't worry about that. Brilliant. Don't worry about it. the key to the Twitter community is interacting with other people. Don't worry if no one ever ever comments on your own posts. Well, I mean, we're going other people. We're going the absolute opposite way. I don't give a fuck about anyone, and don't worry about swearing, Ed. I'm going whole hog on this. <laughs> give a shit, right? Part two. We talked about some players. Um, look, at, we'll go goalies and defence, sort of roughly like in order. Goalies are quite easy to blast through. I've seen a few kind of common players pitching up. That let's just go quickly in the current drafts. Who have you all got in goal? I've gone cheap. Uh... I've got Ryan in a few pod in a few drafts, McCarthy in a couple of drafts. Uh, who else have we gone? I think that's been the main two candidates. So you go cheapy four and a half. Ed, same. Yeah, same. What, I mean, I I haven't really decided yet, but it will be eight point five total. So, um, yeah, either McCarthy or Ryan. I mean, there's the promoted sides. Ramsdale at five is quite interesting. Hmm. Um, for Bournemouth, signed from Bournemouth to Sheffield United. The only thing about McCarthy is worry... that I don't know that they're looking at Butland, so I don't know. I've really, again, this is like I don't want to make transfers on defenders or goalkeepers. I and you've got to be careful that the season starts and the transfer window is still open. So I really don't want to be in a difficult situation there where I have to spend a transfer transfer on that. So yeah, um, it's a tough one, isn't it? I think if you're going cheap, it really. I mean, obviously. Uh, you know, if if someone like Leeds play quite well in the first kind of handful of games, they got a four and a half goalie who's playing regularly. You can you can jump on it, but like you say, the swapping around. I started with Ben Foster last year, and I probably should have just kept him. But the difference between him and moving around when I did was basically pointless. I think McCarthy McCarthy had a really good second half this season, and Southampton were decent. 
Ryan had a really low season in terms of like what he's capable of. But that's just because Brighton play a bit more expansive football now than they did under um, previous a couple of managers. Yeah, I think that is the general consensus then that. Yeah, there's a bunch of interesting guys like Ramsdale's interesting, like points per game for guys like Lloris is ridiculous. Um, we all probably think Allison's going to be the top scoring goalie, maybe Pope, but obviously he's out because he's missing game week one. But that million that you save, you're not you're you're wanting to save that so you can punt it on someone else, and that's why I imagine most people will probably end up picking between Ryan and McCarthy when the time comes. I think that, yeah, the frustration of. I can't get that extra midfielder or extra striker. You're going to end up changing your goal anyway. One other consideration I've kind of got, if I do go for the early wild card, is Martinez in the goal. If Leno's still not fit, and I yeah. just need to go for like a, a game week five, six wild card, then yeah, Martinez fits the bill. They've got nice early fixtures. If I'm going to throw the whole team up in the air anyway, then yeah, he'd be a he'd be good consideration at four and a half. Yeah, the thing about yeah he's a good show. They don't keep clean sheets. Um, no. Well, under but, Arteta, they've looked a lot better than they were. No, no, Brighton. I'm just saying about Ryan. Right. Um, they don't really keep clean sheets, so argu- arguably they're going to get better this season because the Potter's you know, had an extra season and they mm. you know, play that possession game. He does get the, the passes and all that sort of stuff. So you'd actually think that last season's points could be a flaw for him because you'd like to think that Brighton actually might keep a few more clean sheets this season. And he gets the saves and all that sort of stuff. But, I mean, it's, you know, most of the goalkeepers, you can throw a sheet over them. There's not going to be that much difference. So, yeah, I'd rather have the half a million or million to spend elsewhere. I think it's been so frustrating, the pricing of Patricio and Pope. If they'd both been, Mm. either of them had been five million goalies, I'd have snapped them up straight off. Generally, I don't want to have an expensive goalie. But, yeah, I think both of them were just that. They'd probably be my my goalie's a choice, but not... Half a million extra. Yeah, it's funny how they price up guys. I mean, I get I get Allison being the most expensive because if he plays a full season in Liverpool, especially because early Liverpool played so many games where they were only considering one goal and then obviously got injured. But you know, Ederson being six is beyond retarded. I mean, that's just not a price that makes any sense. And I think it does make sense to bunch Pope up there. He's but then I also feel a wee bit with Pope like I think that's his ceiling. I can't Burnley went from something like I think they had four more cleans last year than they did the year before. I just don't see them improving on that and maybe dipping a little. I know they've got a really kind of good setup for something like that. I mean, I just, yeah, I think he, he was cheap's in the good. Golden Glove. I mean, that's that's yeah. the bottom line. And um, I mean, Burnley usually do this, but they they should have. If you look at the XG stats or X goals conceded stats, they should have conceded more. So yeah. Um, I mean, I think he's a fair price. I think what they actually do is they don't, they actually look at clean sheet odds. And they, like, when they're pricing the players, I don't think they look at, like, total points. I think they just look at clean sheet points. And, yeah. they, and it's just been this classic thing since the dawn of time where, you know, people that are playing for the first time pick a, an Allison or an Edison and then can't understand why they end up with the same amount of points as a, a Pope or a, you know, a Ryan that, hits three bonus points when they when they keep a clean sheet and gets like two extra points of save points. I think with Burnley last season, there was a lot of games where Pope was keeping a clean sheet with absolute worldies. He can't do yeah. that again. Like he was playing out of his skin and pulling off a sort of world class save after world class save all the time. And yet he just couldn't do it again. Yeah, and they're not gonna they're not gonna buy big. It's not like they're a kind of an improving side that are gonna spend a bit of money in the transfer market and keep more clean sheets. I mean the only pause I've got is, yeah, McCarthy. I've got McCarthy now. I'm pretty happy with McCarthy. I like that Southampton improves quite a lot post post that 9-0 defeat, actually, by Leicester. And he's kind of held down the front spot. I think, in terms of points per game, he's, you know, he's in and, in and around that mix. And I just, yeah, I'm just going to save that extra money. Talking about spending up. Now, usually, I can't, I mean, I don't have the stats from the past, but if we look at defenders... Literally three Liverpool players featured in the top 12 overall points last year. Now, um, has everyone got Trent? I mean, I thought seven and a half was quite cheap for Trent. I'm quite happy that seven and a half compared to the other midfielders that are seven and a half is wild. He's super cheap. I thought, yeah, I was expecting he could have been like Alonso from a couple of seasons ago where he was eight million. I thought he could have, yeah, he could have got that. So I think, yeah, for, he looked unstoppable towards the end of last season, but he's. He's not fit at the minute. 
he's not playing any of the friendlies. Nico Williams is in for, for Liverpool at right back. So there's a chance he might, well, I'm assuming he'll be, be fit for game week one, but yeah, he's not playing friendlies at the minute. That, that's hey, you're, you're a Liverpool fan. Are you you pretty set on them and happy that, I mean, your back four is settled now and you'll probably keep more cleans than you did last year, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I think he'll score more points than he did last season. But if he isn't if he isn't fit, then that's another reason for potential, another thing pushing you towards potentially an early wild card because this is the sort of play you just have to have having your team. Um, and I, as I was saying before, the key thing for me is, like, do you want one Liverpool defender or two, like, I think most people will have, everyone will have Trent, most people will have Salah. So, like, if I back Liverpool to do well, which I do, mm. um, I want another piece of that. And, you know, obviously Robertson would, would be the obvious one there, or maybe Van Dijk. Uh, it's a lot of money, it's a lot of money in the back line, but, you know, and they don't have great opening fixtures, but at the end of the day, if I'm trying to stick to the philosophy of, like, you know, not messing about with the defence and, They've all got you know two hundred odd points over the course of a the season. Then there's you know it's just the case of just sticking them in there and just holding them. And last season I started with Robertson and um, Van Dyke, but then you know when the hot stuff comes out in midfield and forwards, I jumped off Van Dyke. Um, so I'm just worried that I'm not going to be able to stick to my own sort of preseason strategy if I start with a relatively big at the back formation like the temptation will be too much eddie do you see liverpool has been fixture proof they've got uh, chelsea and arsenal in game week two and three yeah i mean so this is the thing right so if i back liverpool mm. um then i should be happy to start to the defenders in those fixtures i mean trent and robbo are different because they there's so many ways they can get points it's not just clean sheets and it's just the sort of thing that you, you could make a massive gain on gain on the field when they do just you know, beat Arsenal 2-0 or whatever and Robert gets an assist and that sort of thing. I think one of the things that had me sort of paused was I, I was locked with Doherty alongside Trent and then the latest news we got today is he's all looks almost certain to join Spurs and I, I don't know, the, t- the tough thing with a guy like Doc was I, he, I thought he was massively underpriced and it made me think I was much happier saving a million on Robbo or saving... You know, half a million on Van Dyke by locking him in again all season because he's just ridiculous. I mean, and his points per game when Bolly's fit is like Frank. He's basically the third guy in the box every time Man, uh, uh, Wolves were attacking. The odd thing now, and I don't quite know what to do about this, is if he goes to Spurs, he probably comes a bit more of a traditional ish right back. But then Aurier was bombing on last year and he was a good pick. The other thing I'm hearing from a Spurs fans is they might go 3 5 2 next year because of the make-up of their squad and that would give him a bit more license to bomb on because Spurs don't have a lot of particularly good sort of like wingers that can play off a striker and Mourinho seemed to quite like playing just Son with uh, Kane and a couple of breaking midfielders which worked reasonably well they actually picked up points in the second half of the season the worry I guess is A he's moving to a completely new team B he's not going to pick up I mean, he, you know, he's, he's scored, I think, four goals, four assists in the last kind of handful of seasons. I just don't see him being that bombing on, getting in the box type guy. Yeah, I don't It makes me think I just don't forward. really want him. So I don't think he's going to get forward quite as much in that Spurs team. But then Spurs should, they're, they're a, a bigger team, so they should be a bit more solid. I think as well, in the Spurs team, there's much more opportunity for different players to get bonus points, whereas in that Wolves team it was very much Jimenez and Doherty got all the bonus points, so he was kind of hoovering them up most weeks, whereas Spurs you've got like your Stones, you've got your Canes and yeah, you've got a few other guys that can kind of turn it on I think, um, yeah, I'm not sure about the three-five-two. number one, I'm not sure Spurs have enough centre-backs, although I'm assuming you mean Ben Davis would play left centre-back and I don't know, I, I, I don't think Mourinho fancies Sessegnon either, so I'm not sure who would actually play Left I think back. it would probably. I think it would be Ben Davis, and he would maybe tuck. I think yeah, there's talk of Dyer because he played a bit in centre back last season. Oh, I think, think Dyer's think... first choice centre back. I think that's yeah pretty clear. But the rest of their centre backs, so yeah, I don't. It's a tough one because I know what you mean. I think he's traditionally obviously played four at the back, and he, he trusts that. I don't. I don't. I don't massively think he'll go three five two. I think many sort of middle and midfielders you can't necessarily trust. But I think Doherty is worse. He's worse. Um, 
Yeah. You know, I'd rather pick Ori at five five and Doherty not have moved than pick or and then pick Doherty at six at Spurs. He is worse, but I mean, he st- it still could be, still could be fine. But I totally agree with your point about the team structure looks a lot nicer with that sort of seven point five Trent, six million Doherty, and then down to you know a four point five or yeah, a five it's the budget guys. Um, I mean, this is it. Does any, has anyone considered any other kind of premium defenders? Because I think that the tough thing when you look at the prices is beyond those guys that we've mentioned. There's there's a rake of guys that sort of like from five to six, and none of them massively jump out. I mean, they've up, upgraded all the Sheffield United guys, which makes perfect sense. You know, they were great last year. You know, Stevens, Baldock, and Egan all. Egan's I think five, Egan, I guess, Egan at but... five. I think is if you want a five million defender, I think he's probably my my pick over over Dyer, for example, at five. Um, you know, because we were paying five million for Sheffield defenders halfway through last season. Obviously, Henderson's a big loss, but that's okay. I just think there's like quite still quite a lot of decent four point five million defenders. So I just don't think it's worth worth stretching to that. And then obviously I've no. six point six point five Van Dyke, Laporte's um again underpriced, but City don't have great fixtures. Um but he'll definitely be someone I'll have in my team at some point this season. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, the the Man United Man City defenders, well Laporte and yeah, this the United guys was thinking about them, but it's too much of a shuffle to put an expensive defender in at the back. I'd yeah. far rather just wait until a wild card or yeah, and I mean, Man, Man United are a really interesting one. I mean, they they kept they were seven clean sheets in the last fourteen games. I mean, against pretty average opponents, and after Bruno Fernandez arrived, and they obviously completely transformed. I don't think they're going to keep that form all season. But you know, Juan Bissaka, yeah, he I had him towards the end of last. He was hoovering up points, and anytime they got a clean sheet, he was he got I think he got one or two assists. He picked up some bonus points. He was one of my early picks in my draft before I saw the fixtures. I've slightly cooled on him now because I think the other problem that we might have with I like Pasaka, I like Lepore is point when Man Man United go hall, we don't really want to take up a slightly dodgy defence if they revert back to type. And that takes away one of your attacking slots. Because the good the big thing about having obviously Liverpool is you've only really got that you've only really got Manny and Salah and then their defence that you want to pick. So I'm slightly cooled on Laporte, although I really do like him. And there's reports coming out today they might sign Koulibaly, which would mean they would be much, much better defensively again. But Yeah, I actually yeah. thought Ake was um, going to be starting for them potentially, but the more I think about it, the more it seems that he is just going to be back up for Laporte as that sort of left side of centre-back. The other, the other thing, more general point about Man U is that it's like there's two things. One... You look at their total season points for their sort of big four attacking players. Do you look at that or do you look at post restart? And because the the team was transformed when once Bruno came in, you know, Martial, I actually had him early last season. He obviously didn't do very much, but then he was transformed after that. Him and Bruno were just streaks ahead of everyone else. So do you judge it on that? And I would say you do judge it on the post restart thing. But to temper that, you have to remember that Manu's fixtures post restart were a joke. And whenever they actually came up against anyone half decent, like an FA Cup, they went sort of back to the sort of scratching about a bit, struggling to create. Yeah, it's a tough one. I think, I mean, we'll get on to it when we talk about mids and forwards because it's super interesting with Man United where they, I mean, every season these things sort of like poke their heads up where a bunch of cheap or slightly underpriced guys just rear their head when some form hits and it's, the easiest thing in the world after the fact to realise that you should have got them in. And yeah, I had Martial, I think, early in a wild card and didn't really work out. And I got him in the moment. I think I got Bruno in in week two of Bruno arriving and you just had to watch Man United. And yet again, this is the weird thing about the Premier League is everyone goes on about it being the best league in the world and all this. There's maybe only six or seven really quite good teams and then you get to that soft middle and then the lower half and any team that's got any sort of form can absolutely wipe them up so really not a bad thing being a flat track bully if you get any of these guys in in good fixtures then again we've already talked about it and it's if we're going to talk about some cheap guys that maybe we like this is where we want to kind of nail these picks because if you can get in a couple of guys that you know you can just set and the annoying thing is I've got a few guys that I do quite like that I thought I was going to set, you know, the 
Benagri at um, Wolves is four and a half. He's probably going to play unless they buy someone. Charlie Taylor, even though they missed game week one. Um, Palace boy, although I think he's injured. I want to say Mitchell Ferguson. Nathan Ferguson was one, but yeah. So it's this tough duality where you see these guys and you think, well, you maybe want a piece of it and you're not quite sure. I mean, last year we got an absolute gift with a few players. Like Sheffield United were super easy to pick guys from and Soyuncu was playing for four and a half, four and a half million and he was a defender for Leicester and they were keeping clean sheets. And obviously Lundstrom was by far the most popular pick last year at one point because he was just playing midfield for a team that was keeping clean sheets. So, See, there's so many people going about, oh, I don't want to make defensive transfers over the course of the season. But there's so many rate my teams that I'm seeing that are full of all these cheap guys who are just a punt for, like, say, you're, uh, okay, Yusin, Benagre, Thomas, Justin, both at Leicester. A lot of these. Yeah, guys, I like them. A lot of these guys, yeah, they're fine for maybe the first four weeks. If you're going to wildcard, they're like, yeah, totally fine. But over the course of the season, yeah, you're going to have to transfer them out. Before Doherty moved, I was really cooling on Benagre. Like, I was happy to just have Doherty particularly with the transfer, you know, rumours. I mean, it might now be that if they bring in another wing back, it ends up, they, they play it right back and Vinegro starts, in which case it's probably still all right. Justin, there's a lot of chat about Justin on Twitter, a lot of podcasts saying good pick. I mean, let's have good fixtures, but the defence is like him, the other like left back, I can't remember the name of, Wes Morgan, you know. It's, yeah, Johnny I mean, Evans. You know, Rogers plays like sort of, possession football and they yeah they you'd still yeah i know what you mean I'd... against like west brom but at the same time i'm not yeah I'm not they were terrible player. after the restart as well they're absolutely rubbish i mean i know a lot of that was to do with just a bit of momentum morrison got injured and they, they had some problems but i just don't madison sorry morrison madison but i think yeah, I don't know. I'm really unsure. The, the original templates I was seeing a lot all over the place had Trent, a bunch of cheap guys, and then you could stack in because, and we'll get to mids and forwards, but, but there was so much expensive mid forwards or sort of midfielders, especially the elite end, that you sort of had, to, if you felt you needed two or three, you needed to find a way to get the money. It seemed like an easy way to do it. But yeah, I think my notes from almost every end of the season has always been. Um, you know, lock in three solid defenders. And yeah, if you have to do a little bit of tweaking, it's not the end of the world. But I mean, one of the biggest things I did last year, which was absolutely ludicrous, was I just didn't play Lundstrom. I had him and he was always on my bench. And I think it took me six or seven game weeks before I just realised, like, bank that four and a half million for a guy that's playing for a team that keep clean sheets. And if he, you know, gets a two-pointer, it's not the end of the world. It costs four. Or no, it wasn't even four and a half. It was four. It was ludicrous. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah, at the moment, I'm really unsure. That's the that's the place where I've done maybe my most changing that I'm so unhappy with because it's just a sea of guys I don't give a shit about. I think once we get closer to the season start, there'll be a few more friendlies all being played, and yeah, we'll be able to see if some of these 4.0, 4.5 guys are actually the real deal if they're going to get game time or what the deal is with them. But yeah, for now, yeah, there's there's a few that are kind of grabbing me, but I'm not getting kind of nailed on anyone quite yet. Yeah, we'll move on to midfields now. Let's go to part three. Just before I go to part three, I've got another um, sponsorship to read out here. This is Big Willie Bruins, Mrs. Janine's been in touch. Now, we've been talking a bit about value. Janine is offering a thing she's called Nick and Pick. Uh, This is, she'll go to any uh, shopping centre in the west coast of Scotland and she'll steal whatever you want and sell it to you for half price. That's 50% off anything you want. Nick and Pick. That's from Janine Brun, 555-4127. So you say I can get a Greg sausage roll for 50p? Absolutely. Wow. I mean, I wouldn't set myself that low. I mean, if she's going into Greg's and she's going to steal, that's the apex of stealing, though. But that's only because I think she works there and she knows Big Sandra. Yeah, you go double steak bake, fudge donut, sausage roll on the side. My brother-in-law, hopefully you're listening to this, he is part of um, our league that uh, if any of the listeners are listening, you, you, you're never going to get invited to. Um, his lunch when he used to live in Edinburgh was three steak bakes. I remember Solid the days when, when it used to be three sausage rolls for a pound. Oh. oh, Back in the day. That's like the 25p mark. Oh. That was, we got really... Uh, 95. 
we got really stoned once in at my pal George's house in Gorgie, and we woke up the next morning. And I just was going to walk and go home, and he's like, oh, "Let's go and get quick, get a sausage roll." And he walked in. He was first in the queue, and there's all these guys obviously like going to work. Like ten folk in the queue, they bring out like thirty sausage rolls from the oven, and he bought them all. And you've never heard a more collective groan in your life. And I was like, I don't even want one, man. I'm going to bed. Oh, I'll eat them. Oh, they're amazing. PK <laughs> bastard, right? Big George, if you're listening, big fat bastard. Right, moving on. The more interesting end is part three. Right, midfield and forwards. Let's get stuck into the mids. Boom. Now, top three scoring players last year. Um, Kevin De Bruyne finally asserted. Mo, who had a little bit of a dip, uh, 233 points, Kevin De Bruyne, 251, Manny, uh, 221, uh, Sterling was the only other guy to get above 200, although Aubameyang's been reclassified as a midfielder, all five of them are uh, 11 and a half and above, Aubameyang, Manny, um, and Salah at 12. If we're talking elite elite, and we're talking about the guys at the top end, do what are we thinking in terms of who you're picking at the moment to start with game week one? Because if we assume that De Bruyne and Sterling are in no teams, we're only really left with three for game week one. Who you got? Uh, I kind of keep chopping and changing. I think one's going to be a placeholder for a KDB or Fernandez or somebody like that. So it'll be a, but the first few weeks and then probably Salah, but yeah, there's 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 plenty of options there. The one thing that kind of has got me is Chelsea because they're buying so many midfielders. Yeah. Uh, really like Pulisic at eight and a half. Uh, Love Pulisic. But the thing is, yeah, if they get Havertz, then my whole midfield just goes up there, and Havertz is my first pick. You so, big on yeah. Havertz, are you? Yeah. Well, I think it's probably I just got a bit obsessed with Bundesliga. Because it was the first year in lockdown, yeah. Because it was the first league back, and then he was absolutely on fire during it. So I'm thinking he's this sort of godlike figure sticking your midfield. You think he would outscore Werner then? He's like a support striker, right? Because I, I, I thought I thought he was more of a creator, but it turns out Ziyech is more of a creator, and Havertz is more of a support striker, like a Deli Alley or whatever. Oh, Havertz was banging them in. During the whole uh, whole lockdown, so yeah, you can score. He'll be classified as a midfielder. Yeah, yeah. I think it looks most likely that they'll have ZH will be probably left. Um, Werner will be centre forward, and then you're going to have to find a way to get Pulisic and Havertz in and around. That will be the four. I imagine when they go full out, it may be a bit fluid. I don't think ZH can play anywhere else apart from the left. I think Werner's occasionally played the left. Pulisic. Looks a lot better down the middle. Two, three, one, and have Havertz yeah. number ten, Pulisic on the left, have um, Werner up top, and Ch on the right. I mean, doesn't actually address their main main issue about conceding shitloads of goals. But um, no, I, I guess yeah. I guess, so if he comes in midfielder, I guess he'll be eight point five nine then. Um, yeah, and that, this is what's got me absolutely terrified because I, I mean, we talked previously, Ed. I. One of the first picks I had was I think Salah's underpriced at 12. 12 seems ridiculous because I think last season was his floor. I think yeah. we've we've seen what he can do. We can see him have a 300-point season. If he was down last year and he scored 233, that's madness. I agree. I, I mean, can see him not, going north of 250. Yeah, he's, he didn't have a great season. He'll have pens. He might play more games. They won't have the restart thing where they were just sort of messing about, albeit he was golden boot. I mean, he is underpriced by like half a million, but then a lot of people are underpriced. Like I look at Bruno yeah. and I think he's came in at least half a million underpriced as well. Um yeah. Sterling is probably a fair price. Aubameyang, I think, is a fair price. KDB is maybe slightly underpriced. So like not massively, but th- those are the, those are the big five. And it's whether or not you're gonna have two of those big five plus Bruno, or you're just gonna choose your your two of those and for me I've not moved from Salah and since the fixtures came out from Salah and Aubameyang um, with a view as Karen said to moving Aubameyang on to KDB I mean before the teams came out I really wanted to see what a team would look like with having KDB and Sterling because I think while Sterling is pretty well priced I, I think he could he, he had terrible starts last season I think he's going to he's going to score more points than he, he did last season as well so 
you know, that would be a punt, but it seems like because of them both being 11-5 and then you'd lose, you know, whatever one of the, the other three we're talking about, you basically have to choose between Sterling and KDB at the moment. And I think the general theory is that um, because City have quite difficult fixtures and De Bruyne plays further forward usually in harder fixtures and influence the game more, that, mm. you know, you maybe don't, don't choose Sterling for them. And then, Aguero came in quite cheap, and if he starts, then maybe then you just ignore, you know, Sterling, and just have KDB and Aguero or KDB and Jesus. I'd love to have both of them, but just at this, obviously at the start of the season, it's just not viable at all. So yeah, Salah and Aubameyang, and Aubameyang will go to probably KDB, and then it's more of a question of my overall team makeup as to do you go a third semi-premium with Bruno, or do you put in other man new players and not have like a terrible team apart from that well i guess this is the question isn't it and it's something i'm not quite sure about i think chelsea look like they might score goals for fun but what we know is that bruno fernandez is an absolute fantasy slut and that obviously was project restart came in fresh nine million penalties but they're obviously coached to try and win penalties or like they do lots of nippy stuff around the box like the really small quick dudes who get filled a lot in the box they didn't win any penalties that were illegitimate he seems to score all of them any game i've seen he's taking shots from everywhere he always seems to try and get in the on he also gets in the box all the time i mean this is what i was gonna ask you was if if you were sitting with draft pick number one in a draft league you're Probably picking Salah because you know you're locking him in all season. How how high does a guy like Bruno Fernandez go? Because the instinct is, if everyone was playing game week one, you can probably split hairs between guys like Manny's probably a bit better than maybe someone like Sterling because he doesn't go as cold. But you know, as much of a muchness there, Kev looked fantastic last year. He might do much. I don't know where Bruno fit. I sort of think I know roughly, I think Aubameyang's last season was roughly what we might get again-ish. I've got no idea what Bruno can do over a 38-game season. I think he's definitely top 10 of the overall draft picks. But then, as we spoke about earlier, Man United had the easiest fixtures they could have possibly had. But they're going to get those fixtures again. Like They're going to play all these bobbins teams again. Yeah, but over the course of the season. Whereas Man United had that consistently. Bruno looked amazing because he was playing against yeah, I think it's close between Aubameyang and Bruno. For me, I would have Salah and KDB and Sterling top three. Then it's close for me between Aubameyang and um, Bruno and then probably Mane after that. So I think they haven't messed up the pricing too much. I mean, that probably shows that Mane was maybe slightly slightly too expensive. But that's some somewhere where I'm looking at. I mean, one other thing I've been thinking about is this question for you guys. Who do you think, give, give, give me your top three top scorers next season. Uh, oh god! If I had put money on it, I'd put yeah. I'd go. I'd go Salah. I'd go KDB. I'd go Bruno. No, no, no. Sorry. Top goal scorers. Top goal golden, scorers. Golden boot. Top three. Um. God. Right. Well, I mean, what? Bamiyang won it last year. I mean, there's, you can throw a blanket over quite a few of them. The trouble. This is where it gets really tricky, right? It's because if Kane plays thirty-eight games. And they're a bit better. Kane's going to be right up there. I'm not keen on Vardy. You imagine Sal will get a few more. So, I'd, But then what's going to happen with Aguero? Let's just assume that Messi doesn't sign for Man City. Aguero's fit. Aguero's right there. God, but and then Aubameyang was great. For me, Aguero's not a pick because, like, I made this mistake no. last season in draft because he just doesn't play enough games. He's brilliant, but he's only for when you know he's going to play. So, like... He's mm. not a pick in draft. Like players like Abamyang and Bruno are much better in draft because, or like zombie teams, because they'll play every game and they'll keep chipping away. Like I had Guerrero last season; it happened, and he, he completely screwed me. Obviously, oh, it's a nightmare. I tell you what, really, really made me pause for thought there though was that, and and we're talking about picking these guys. I've got the exact same as you. My current draft has Salah and um and Abamyang in it, just because of those first two fixtures for Arsenal. They're away at Fulham. They're home at West Ham. You essentially have to move them on for game week three. But the thing that has me terrified is Crystal Palace have a bunch of players injured. Man United are going to have a blank game week. Man United play Crystal Palace in game week two. So if everything was equal, 
the most popular captain probably in game week two, you would imagine, unless something mad happens in game week one, is Bruno at home to Palace for people that want to pick him. So there's this little bit of me that thinks I should probably just set up my team for Aubameyang game week one, Fernandez game week two, and then ride him as long as those fixtures because they've yeah. a reasonable amount of decent fixtures up to probably game week uh, game week 11. Their fixtures are amazing. But who's your other premium? Well, this Salah. is where it's problematic. I'm going to pick Salah, I think, because if I'm going to do a lot of chopping and changing, I need a guy that I'm happy with all season. Okay, and I'm so happy with Salah all season. You're accepting you're not bringing in a Man City, you're not bringing in KDB then? And you're only having what two. I originally thought was I was going to start chopping and changing that second premium spot for when Man City have really good fixtures, but I don't... I don't... I'm looking at those fixtures, and the problem I've got is... I think I did this last year. I think KDB blanked a couple of times, and someone had really good fixtures, so I took KDB out. They were away at Arsenal. They won 2-0. KDB scored both. And I was absolutely, you know, decimated that way. It was one of the worst mistakes I made last year. And it's like your point was, you play him a wee bit more forward in big games because they're not going to make the same amount of chances and they rely on KDB's amazing ability to shoot from distance. So if you if you don't have a KDB guy, even when the fixtures are bad, we sort of need Bruno to keep pace with what he did post-restart, which is just unattainable. Yeah, I mean, they are similar players as well. Sorry, going back to that thing, I don't know, Karen, if you had answers for who you think's top three golden boot. Yeah, top three golden boot. I can't disagree with, with Kane. Uh, not convinced that Ings will be around there this, this year. I think he was he just played exceptional last season. I can't see them being as good. But then saying that, Southampton were rubbish the first half of the season and everything goes through him. So he might be kind of there thereabouts. Uh, Oba's got to be in there with a shout. Assuming he's going to sign a new contract, Lacazette looks like he's on the way out. So he'll be your main man. So I mean, penalties are absolutely massive. Like I've actually now pulled up the odds. And um, so that so the, the three people, and this isn't like who I actually think will be necessarily top three, but number one, Salah, I think will be top scorer. Number two, Martial. And number three, if Werner hits, um, or two or three, if Werner hits, he'll he'll be up yeah. there as well. I can't you can't discount over because he's just he's done it. But I just think if things click for Martial and, and Werner, I think that could be massive. And I'm, I'm actually just looking on Checker at the moment, and it's it goes Salah at fives, Kane, Abamyang, Aguero, Werner, Sterling, Mane, Vardy, Jesus, Martial. So Martial's actually at about twenty to one. So I might might have a bit of that. Um, yeah, Martial's a really good show. I mean, but he's not got pens, and you see the people at the top: Salah, Kane, Abamyang, Aguero, maybe Werner, probably not. All, yeah, all got pens, and it's just absolutely massive. And Kane's the sort of player that, if he's anywhere close, then he can just bang off the hat tricks. Whereas the goals do get spread yeah. about a bit more in Man U. But as I say, Martial, he he wasn't great at the start of last season. Once Bruno came in, he looked much more like a consummate sort of number nine. So, um... well, this is the other thing. I mean, Martial, he played a bit wide. He, he didn't, um, you know, he, I, I think his minutes were. I don't know, comparable to around like 30 games last year. And this is a guy that scored 200 points, 17 goals, nine assists. Now, obviously, he loses the clean sheet points because he's been moved forward. But is Martial the easier way to make sure that you're not losing out on, say, those Bruno points? Because he, again, and I know it's post-Resort, but he's, he's, he's got a decent record against good teams. You know, he, he scores goals in big games. Martial, if, again, if game week one, Man United didn't blind, He'd be an absolute lock for me, I think. I think you'd be struggling to have both of them, even without Man, you know, before we found yeah. out Man you were missing a game. Obviously, now that we know they are, it's very difficult to have both. I think Martial would do well to cover you there. But it's exactly that point about once Bruno comes into the team, he really kicked on. So I think he's I think he's gonna he's got a great season ahead. The the one thing I saw was like, right, he scored 200 points or so and he would go down to 175 if you move him to striker but that again is points over the season not you know post Bruno points which is really what we should be looking out for Manu. I think yeah, actually and his points got... went his points went way up when Martial when sorry when Bruno came down and actually interestingly Rashford's went down because obviously the penalty points got taken away so yeah like Mar Martial just becomes 
yeah, beast. I'm, I'm with you on that. Like that twenty to one on him being top goal scorer is yeah, really good show. He'll play number nine all season for a really good team. I think Martial as well. He knows where he's going to be now. He knows that he's going to be the man up top. Yeah. But before he was getting punted it wide, he was getting and he just he didn't know what he was doing. Whereas yeah, he seems to be settled. They've got a settled system. Yeah, he's I think he's a good shirt. And yeah, it's not yeah, even they, just him; it's the team around him as well. They that they know he's going to be number nine, and they're used to his movement and and his interplay and that sort of thing. Yeah, I knew I had it. So he was he was six point six point two points per game across the season, but he was seven point six when Bruno came. So he's adding a point and a half just from Bruno. I think if you're looking at Manchester, if we're if we're all fairly set on probably are we all fairly set structurally then on two and a kind of smattering? Is everyone quite? I mean, how many people did you guys all think that Foden and Greenwood are just? too cheap to pass up and then it's really a case of two premiums those two and one other or did you have any other kind of way of pre-fixtures yes but I struggle to start Greenwood and Foden now particularly yeah. given that Foden might not start like game week two you know you can't guarantee him starting any games so you, you're really relying on your bench then and you know money's tight enough as it is so the drafts I've had have yeah had Salah, Salah Ober and then some have had or previously had um, Fernandez or a way to get him, and then like a really cheap other rest of the midfield, which is basically like Suchek and a four point five, or spreading the yeah. money and having something a bit more balanced. Whether that's even a little bit more, like a five point five. Like I'm just looking at the moment. I've got Greenwood and Armstrong in my midfield at the moment, but that's partly because my I've got more money up top. Um, well, let's go up top then. And who, because you've done that, who have you? Who's your striker? So Werner and Jimenez, and my apart from Salah and Aubameyang, my entire attacking players, I've there's been so much change throughout. I mean, Werner seems everyone is sort of tipping them as being that's right, that's the one punt I'm going to have because you look at his record and you just think he, he's going to kick it off. I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be against not starting with him. It's almost almost like a coverage pick already to start with this punt because so many people yeah. have him, but I could easily see him starting. You know, left wing, especially if Pulisic has got the Rona, um, and you know, then they play Liverpool game week two, and I'm looking at my team, and I've, if I start with two Liverpool defenders, I don't really want to go too heavy Chelsea. So it's not a big win if Chelsea don't come out blazing, and I don't have Werner, and most people do, but I am looking at other things. But at the same time, the players I want in that price range is Martial. You know, so it's yeah, Jimenez going to start yeah. with. So yeah, starting Werner and Jimenez, the idea being that I can jump off one of them to bring in Martial if I wanted. I mean, there's good, there's good strikers at six, six point five as well. And the main, the main thing is about the team structure. So if Brewster moves and there's a four point five um, striker as a third striker that actually feels like they're going to at least get some points, then I'd be much more comfortable in starting with that four point five million striker. If there's not then I'd be more inclined to look at potentially starting with two sort of six million, six point five million strikers because by comparison the sort of four point five million midfielders aren't aren't as good. Aaron, how are you looking structure wise then? I mean I one of the things I did re, like prefixtures was I really just thought Mike Michael had you know six and a half was a banker and it meant I could do a lot on my midfield. Now I don't have a clue because I same as Ed, I'm quite keen on those two. You started with Jimenez last year, right? So are you going to rock with him again? Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm going with kind of same as Ed. Werner was my main man. I, I suppose kind of partly killed with this early Bundesliga lockdown obsession. He was another one that was uh, banging him in. So yeah, he was my main man up top. I've tried a few different things where either going really big up top, big at the back, and big in midfield in different drafts. So yeah, I'm not really kind of settled at the minute. Uh, yeah, prefixtures. When we're talking about Ford and Greenwood, I thought, yeah, they looked absolutely knocked in, uh, as in must-haves. But then, City are definitely going to buy somebody. You've still got the whole Pep Roulette factor. I don't know where Foden's going to play. And we know that Man United are still in the market for a striker, well, a midfielder, sorry. But yeah. it doesn't look like it's going to be Sancho, but even if it's like David Brooks or there's a few others about. So I think Greenwood's always going to be your man that's going to get probably shoved first. Because he's least experienced. Yeah, and I think the thing about Greenwood is if if they didn't bring anyone in before the season, I I could see myself starting with him and benching him. But you still leave that issue of being like, ah, 
two weeks into the season they end up signing um yeah sancho and then you're done or yeah. even a backup uh, i mean i sorry, i don't know don't to say just... yeah i don't i mean the, i guess the trouble with the strikers is most people seem set on um the price bracket more than anything and those names that you mentioned i don't think I agree that you know Aguero, Aguero is massively underpriced if he plays, but he was injured and we don't really know what Pep's going to do. I think Kane could be a perfectly good pick, but you don't want to risk so much money because you know Kane's ten and a half, but that's the same price as Fernandez, and you sort of know what Kane can do. But we also know at some point he's going to get an ankle injury and he's probably going to be missing out. And I think those two hundred point seasons from sort of three, four and five years ago, they're sort of they're they're maybe a little bit done, but the other thing that has me slightly paused for thought is they have really good early fixtures up to about game week eight. But I don't want to throw everything out of the way to accommodate a guy like Harry Kane when if you're gonna to have to save say a handful of transfers, you can pick someone like Jimenez that you know you could probably just rock until Christmas. And he'll just keep ticking along the points and it's I like think the, everyone everyone's got Werner. That makes perfect sense. But the the problem I have is every time I get in guys that I really like, and we've talked, we all seem quite set on say cheap goalie. We all like Trent. We all probably like two premiums. We like Werner, and we meet, then you start really running out of options. And the problem is, is every time I put like say Jimenez and Werner in my forward line. My midfield goes from looking really awful and I hate it to absolute dog shit. And I don't, I just, as much as I like Alan to Maximan and guys like Stuart Armstrong, they're reasonably good players. Like they're pretty good. He scored some good points towards the end of the season. I really want to be rocking those guys and have to do a rejig. But then the other thing I have to keep thinking is I'm going to have to make a compromise somewhere. We don't get 150 million and just get. Yeah, up. I think that's the thing. I think they're actually relatively well priced. Um, the two you mentioned, I think the main thing is there's no strikers at 4.55, 5.5 at the moment that you want. So you, at striker, you have three options. One is, and this structure-wise, this makes the most sense to have one big, one middle, one 4.5. So like a 9.5, a 6.5, and a 4.5. But the problem is if your 9.5 is Werner and he starts, you know, starts well, then you're not going to take him out. So that doesn't leave you much room. The second one is have two big. So have like a Jimenez and Averna and then move Jimenez to Martial or see how that goes. You can obviously stick with Jimenez or Rings um, and a 4.5. And the other one is to have a big one and then two at the sort of 6 million. So have an Antonio and a Mitrovic sort of range. And the reason for doing that is because if you think that the 4.5 forward isn't going to play at all and you don't like the other sort of midfield options as well. But, you know, as, as you start putting more money into defence, you you basically can't do do any of the sort of more expensive ones. No, but I think Karen's point actually about watching the preseason is hopefully, I mean, right now we don't really know, but, you know, before game week one, we almost certainly will know who's going to be in those first 11. So we'll, we'll have a four guy or a four and a half guy. And even if it is Palace bench fodder or that Davis striker for Aston Villa, we'll at least have a guy that we maybe aren't, we know we'll play at least in the short term and that'll be maybe enough, but oh, I don't know. I'm so all over the place when I start filling out my team because there's so many players that I definitely want that either I can't afford or B don't play game week one and I'm going to have to make peace with something. I'm just not convinced. And the other thing actually is, and I don't know if anyone else does this, I always have to double check the, um, the, the, the fixture difficulty rating thing because I looked at Antonio, who was like one of my first picks in, and I thought, oh, he'll be great. He's up as a striker. That's fantastic. He can save a spot now. They've got Newcastle at home. Okay, pretty good fixture. Arsenal away, I mean, not ideal. Wolves at home, they might be able to do something. And then Leicester and Tottenham away. I mean, then obviously Man City, Liverpool. There's a part of me that just thinks that it's early in the season. Arsenal are going to have a makeshift defence. Wolves might have sold Doherty. Leicester were in absolute shambles. Maybe those first four fixtures are quite good. Maybe yeah, I can pick them. I don't mind them. And Antonio, I think, is just great. He was in my draft team. And then when the fixtures came out, he got shipped out for Mitrovic, who has not a great opening fixture, but then has like a really good run after that. But, you know, Mitrovic generally isn't a player that I want, whereas Antonio is the sort of player that if he does stay at number nine and Haller doesn't come in, then he's a good 
he could be the sort of Ings of of this season. Yeah. You know, just just keep him there and, and don't and don't worry about it. And he can score against anyone. He scored against Chelsea and all the rest of it. I think my main problem with having too big at the top is there's so many options in midfield. If you've got too much tied up up front, midfield mm. is where it's going to be. This a kid in a sweetie shop. You're going to get all your different options for midfield is banging in twos and hat tricks or whatever. So, yeah, well, I guess that's it. Going to make your changes. Where do you think it drops off then? Because what I noticed was I was only really comfortable picking, say, my current draft, I've got Aubameyang and Salah. I put in Son as a placeholder for Pulisic. And then I think it drops off really quickly. I know you're quite hot on Havertz, who might be priced sort of in and around that. And I think this is where it gets really tricky is there's no one, you know, you're, try, you're trying to pick guys who can sort of score and assist. And we know Greenwood and Foden can do that. The worry, I guess, is that, you know, like at, at some points last season, everyone had, say, Mason Mount or everyone had Jack Grealish at some point. And um, the it's Leicester like guys someone, were super someone like Matt Madison's early. the obvious one because there's not much yeah. in the 7 million mark. Like, it is a drop-off, as you say, between 8.5 and pretty much 5.5. And I think that's that's the issue. And I also think there are, are a lot of good strikers. Like, I don't think, obviously, Jimenez and um, Ings are underpriced. I think 8.5 is well-priced. But there's them, there's Werner, there's Martial, obviously there's Kane and Aguero. There's a lot there. And I just and I think some of you know, those 5.5 midfielders, I think, are, are all right as well. If there were more sort of seven-ish midfielders, then I yeah, think maybe spreading we'd be more comfortable. midfield would be better. But I, I'm like you, I, I think Pulisic is a, is a great pick. But... Again, if he's if he's not, oh, I love him. I love him, and I guess there's more uncertainty. I think because when you watch Chelsea play last season, it pretty much became just give the ball to him. Whereas yeah. now it won't be. I don't think it'll be quite so much because they've got like you know quadruple threat now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's interesting. I can't believe we've got so far through the strike the striker chat without mentioning last year's top scorer Vardy. Oh well, do you want a good Jamie Vardy start? Him and Jimenez were the saviour of my early season. And uh, yeah, Vardy, okay, he's bumped up to 10 million this year. He's that year older, but he's got a cracking start as well. Well, this is the thing, and this is something I do find interesting about Vardy. I did some um, research on Vardy last season. So he scored one goal against the top eight last year. He managed... One against Sheffield United, two against Newcastle, three against Southampton, two against Arsenal, three against Bournemouth, three against Palace, four against Villa, one against Watford, one against Burnley, one against Everton. He will absolutely put bad teams to the sword when he gets the chance. I mean, he doesn't get many chances, but he tends to put them away. He makes specifically good chances for him, usually on the counter. I don't mind him. And I would, if Leicester's season was reversed, I might be right all over that if they'd have started really badly and finished like an absolute house on fire and just finished fifth, then maybe I would consider him. The trouble I've got is he's older. They were absolutely terrible after the restart. And I just don't know if I trust that extra sort of million and a half to get in on him. If I'm going from a guy like an Ings or a Marsh, uh, sorry, a Jimenez waiting yeah. on Martial, I think that's right. I think he's pretty similar to those. I mean, I ten seemed like a little bit too much for me, but I think that's it. He's just not a sexy pick. I mean, Ings and Jimenez aren't either because they're not cheap, but and that will put people off. But you wouldn't be surprised at all if he, you know, got four or five. No, and hey, I love him. I mean, it, you know, if if actually it came down to it and it was a draft pick and I, I needed a striker and. I was sort of left with... I'd actually have a wee bit of pause for thought. If Kane had gone and say, Werner had gone and Martial had gone, even if, uh, you know, you probably have to pick Aguero just in case he goes absolutely bananas, but Vardy would be right up there and you'd be delighted to have him all season. And that was us. That was a fun hour and a bit. We hope you enjoyed it. We will be back next week with our second episode, hopefully gearing up for a wee bit more pre-season chat with a wee bit more information. We'll have some more sponsorships from Big Willie Brun and Janine. We'll maybe even get Fraser on the chat this time. And we look forward to hearing from you at FPL Hoof. And just a reminder, any questions or comments that you send us, we'll not pay attention to or raise on the pod. See you later.